Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. You sound like me with technology. I love it. It always kind of makes me feel a wee bit better because I feel like oh everybody God. just takes everything in their stride now, and they're like, "Yeah, do you not? Do you not know how to edit a video and splice it all together?" And I'm like, "No, should no. I? <laughs> Don't get taught that at school." <laughs> exactly. I'm ancient, but I'm not ancient. But come on. <laughs> well, I was like, "Listen, this will make you feel better." I was talking to somebody the other day there about when I went to uni, and uh-huh. we had to go to computer classes to learn how to use that computer really really ah like that was like mandatory like everybody had to go because that was nothing like Aye. i hadn't really used a computer that much like i had a commodore 64 <laughs> <laughs> and then i went to uni and i was like all oh, right okay and it was like an actual struggle yeah no I, I know like i really regret at uni um so i'm 32 so i went to uni when i was 17 and we did like um all the you know like photoshop and illustrator and computer-aided design and all that and I was like listen I'm an artist I don't need to use computers give so me like, a quill <laughs> I know like give me a feather in the blood of a raven and it'll be fine but like like I didn't listen the entire time and I just didn't get it so I just always used to scan in my illustrations and then like you know like put a couple of layers on it and call it a day and me and Jill from um, Law Design were both in the same class hated it and then see afterwards Jill went and like self-studied it all and was like because she obviously she went into garment uh, tech and all that and she was like mm-hmm. I, I need to actually learn this and I was like I'll never need to learn this and now I'm like you're on your own pal <laughs> well this is just an absolute joy for a monday morning i have to say because i am speaking to cassie ritchie who is a fashion and culture historian is that have i got that right cassie is that how you would yeah like that's kind of how i term myself but yeah Yeah. bit bit of everything which sounds like the coolest job ever but I feel like it's not just a job it's like a total like life's work yeah completely yeah um I've studied fashion since I was 17 that's when I went to university and I'm 32 now so I've done a undergraduate degree and two masters relating to fashion and it's just it's just always been something I've been really passionate about I'm one of those people that would stay in university until I pop my clogs so <laughs> I think to yeah. be fair, you do the university thing very well with the sounds of things. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's um it's definitely uh I mean the student loans and things like that aren't great, but no. I mean what can you do? <laughs> so taking you way back, I mean, to go to university at seventeen, that's 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 quite young, isn't it? I think it was just, you know, I think I was one of those kids that went to school when I was four. Because I remember when I went to uni, every we were going to, you know, like the union and all that. And I was 17 for maybe about three or four months, five months, because we started uni in what was it, like August, September or whenever it mm-hmm. is. My birthday's in January. So I was always a little bit premature in curve. that way. But End I mean, of the curve. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so in the time leading up to going to university, can you, now this is probably like a massive question to kickstart this, but can you think of an item of clothing mm-hmm. that as a kid or a mm-hmm. teenager like you, it was just like your absolute treasured possession? Okay, that's a really good question. That's a really fun question. <laughs> um, I probably had, see, to be honest, I probably had so so much because when I was a teenager, I was a bit of a... I was a bit of a mosher, but I was really, really, really into ska music. Bands like Real Big Fish, um, Mad Caddies, um, Suburban Legends, Capdown, Lesson Jake, all that type of stuff. And I was really, really heavily into it. So I was obsessed with like band t-shirts, you know, like um, difficult to get American punk band, uh, punk, punk and ska um, t-shirts. I remember I had this amazing bowling bag and I do not know to this day where it is because I was... I love a bowling bag. I had a bola one, I remember. They were great. I remember them. I remember getting this bowling bag from Flip in Glasgow And because I'm from, so I'm from Larbert, so it was always a big thing to go into either Edinburgh or Glasgow. 
And I went into Glasgow and I got this bowling bag and it was um, the ska band The Selector and it had like the two-tone design um, down the front of it and um, a dancing kind of ska girl on it and it was amazing and I don't know where it is I don't know what happened to it and then when I kind of went to uni and stuff like I got into different stuff but I was one of those people that was obsessed with lots of like lots of different items of clothing and I spent all my money on it and going into Edinburgh and Glasgow and getting all these you know like from shops like Flip and Pie in the Sky in Edinburgh and secondhand shops and yeah, just like loads of tap. <laughs> but it's so yeah. funny, like growing up, like and what actually sometimes when I, you know I look at young people that I work with and they're so into what is like in at the moment, they've literally all got the same trainers. Like they'll yeah. come into class, you know. Sometimes they'll they'll take their shoes off or whatever, and I'm like, how do you know? Who's is who's? You're all know. literally wearing the same shoes. A class of like fifteen teenage girls, but yeah. but then I'm like, obviously when I was growing up that was still it was the same thing like you were into what was probably in although I tended to not be into what was in which probably added to my non-street cred yeah no I was the same I always find it um weird nowadays when I think maybe last well maybe two or three years ago the trend with like vans and everyone wearing vans but it being a really mainstream kind of um like when I when I was young, vans were for for people that I hang about with, like skaters and yes. weirdos, and you know, like <laughs> monsters and things like that. Vans back then were designed for skating. They were designed to be practical whilst moving. They weren't like a fashion trainer, but that's Mental. fashion. That's the way it works. It's the that is fashion. That's what totally fascinates me about it. It's just like, how does something become cool? How does yeah. it just get- plucked out of oblivion and all of a sudden this is what you should be wearing you know and it's whether you you know lead into that or whether you absolutely go you know well I'll be over here doing my thing and Mm -hmm. that's what just has always I mean I'm fashion daft not (laughs) not as much as you obviously (laughs) um, yeah so like moving on to like going to study fashion and stuff like that that's a very specific niche matter of kind of study like what where you did start at school like that is what I'm going to do that is just my absolute passion yeah pretty much I was always really really into art as a kid so I was always drawing and stuff I had like like when I was younger I would typically always be you know like drawing like Looney Tunes characters I was obsessed with the Looney Tunes I had I used to get their magazine all the time and drawing um Disney characters and all that type of stuff and then when I went to secondary school because you were actually able to do art and you were able to do, you know, like standard grade art and higher art and advanced higher art, which doesn't exist now. But I just I just really invested in art. And it was something that I had like a natural ability, if you know what I mean. I wasn't amazing by any means, but um, I had people in my family, like my uncle and my auntie, like they don't work as artists, but they've got, again, a great natural ability. Mm-hmm. So it was something that I felt that I could apply myself to because I had that... You know, like in school, like you have to, I mean, I was terrible at maths and things and I, I had to work really hard at maths, but in art, I had like a little bit of talent. So like I could, I, I, I liked seeing myself kind of learning new techniques and getting better and things like that. I mean, I, I, I mean, by no means was I great or anything, but I think because I had that little bit of, you know, like spark in it, it just. Yeah, kind of, of course. Um, And then maybe, maybe third or fourth year, um, I started to kind of seriously think about, you know, like when they're they're all talking about your, you know, what's what are you going to do with your life? I like you can. I hear you Actually, puts the fear into me. I know, I know. I, I, remember, I mean, I love history as well. Like obsessed mm. history. I had an amazing history teacher. Oh my god, yeah. she was amazing. See, there's um, always these what you know one or two teachers that just totally oh stick in your head because they were just so good at their job and they were obviously really passionate about yeah. it. He was wild. He he was actually in um, uh, Monty Python's The Holy Grail. Uh, yeah uh-huh. he was one of the dancing knights at the round table <laughs> and oh my, he was really eccentric and he used to always wear cords and mismatching um, socks and he always used to like kind of hoist his leg up on the table and like sit and speak at you like you know, kind of like dead poets society like, yes. always, yeah with like a kind of wild gingery grey beard I was obsessed with him I loved him yeah um <laughs> 
I mean, I probably did have a bit of a kind of crush on him, and he was like 50, 60 years old, but I was, you know, like, no, but but the thing is, that's what I've realized is that there were teachers at school that you thought were ancient, and they're still still teaching, and you're like, so they obviously weren't that ancient. (laughs) I know, same age as me now, but um. And then I kind of realised that you could go to uni for fashion and I was like, oh, I knew I always wanted to go to uni um, but and I wanted to do something related to fashion. So, But I do wish, because, um, I mean, back then we weren't taught fashion or anything or textiles or anything like that at school. And I do wish that I maybe had took a year or two out and went to college and studied, you know, like a wee class on fashion or textile or something just right. so or even being made more aware of that I could go to uni to do fashion but I didn't have to just do fashion design I could do you know like costume design I could do um like you know like the kind of cultural history behind clothing I could do media stuff like like all that type of stuff because it was filmed and it was history and it, it was fashion that I was into I was like, well, the only thing I can do with that is study fashion. And my, my one of my best friends, and he's, he's still one of my best friends, Stephen, he also really wanted to do fashion as well. And he, he went to Glasgow School of Art and I went to Heriot Watt. So it was nice having somebody that had that, you know, like similar passion and wanted to do the same things. And he wanted to go down it more kind of like a textile route. He was really into like knitwear and things. And I can't knit for toffee. So I wanted to do the more kind of design design element and stuff. So yeah, it was it was good in that way, but our school was um terrible. We never got taught about, you know, like designers or, you know, yeah, like, like the different realms, like uh, underneath the umbrella of the word fashion. You're like uh, there's so many a- angles and avenues that I could go down, which obviously you've now navigated and still are but yeah it's difficult I think that's probably why it's so difficult to know I mean I hope it's better now and I, I feel yeah like I'm, it sure it, I'm sure yeah. it is yeah because even when I speak to my little cousins and stuff they're like oh yeah I'm doing photography at college or I'm doing you know like cake decorating at co-. so they're they're doing like the kind of academic stuff but then they're doing the stuff that might spark an interest into I don't know being self-employed or all that type of stuff but I, at that point I was like well I like fashion so I'm going to do fashion and I need to go to uni I need to go to uni right now and there was never really that conversation of you don't need to go to uni just because you can just yeah. because you're able to, doesn't mean you, you have to necessarily yeah. not and like you say not right away you could have yeah. went and done something else at college or a bit of life mm-hmm. experience or, yeah yeah it's so hard I mean I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up <laughs> you know what I mean Same. obviously you did have that passion and because you were saying you had that natural ability with the art and then you know that love of history then it's like yeah they were all all the kind of stars were aligned mm, obviously yeah. but um, yeah it's just that navigation of finding what it is you really really want to be spending your time looking at yeah exactly because there's so many jobs and in, in the fashion industry and you can love fashion but you can be a terrible pattern cutter you can love fashion but you can be terrible at designing you can love fashion and you can do you know what I mean you can be really really amazing at marketing or whatever and that's what I kind of wish I I thought about more to be fair I loved my degree and I, I would I would go back and do it in a heartbeat but I just wish that I knew more if that makes sense because yeah no it was an amazing experience so going through your university um degree and then choosing to do two masters yeah yeah um (laughs) glutton for punishment and the words that come to mind I'm like I am never going back to uni ever again what was that you then just obviously then having the opportunity to hone your focus yeah so in my undergrad in my final collection I had did a collection that was that had underwear in it so it had um, some bullet bras and some kind of fetishy pieces in it and it was inspired on the connection between sex and death and it was looking at um kind of like old Hollywood and Jack the Ripper it was, it was very it was very you know like undergrad fashion <laughs> <laughs> and um I got really really into underwear and and but specifically like vintage underwear so uh, 40s and 50s designs you know like um tap pants and bullet bras and circle stitch bullet bras all these beautiful techniques that you don't get in like a modern day bra for example I took a year out and I came back home from when I came back to Gala Shields and I you know lived my life drank a lot 
made a lot of bad life decisions. <laughs> and, then, and then I was like, all right, I've gotten them to do this master's course. And that was in De Montfort in Leicester. Oh, wow, right. And that was a fashion bodywear course. And when they mean fashion bodywear, they meant underwear, bodysuits, stretch materials. You could go to that master's and you could specialise in swimwear. You could go to that master's and specialise in whatever. And when I was in my undergrad, um, I'm not the best sewer. By any, I mean, let's be honest, I actually hate sewing. I do not mind it if it's for myself. I do do things for myself every now and then. I do quite enjoy pattern cutting. But again, when you're doing it at university, you've got people looking at your patterns and putting their fingers down the line and, and being like, oh, that's not cut. Like, if there's any bumps, that seems not 100% matching up. It kind of takes, I mean, like anything, when you study it, it sometimes takes the joy out of it a bit. Yeah. Um, in my undergrad, I was kind of like fumbling along trying to understand how to make underwear because underwear compared to, you know, like designing a skirt or a dress or whatever is completely different you use completely different machinery and things like that so I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants and I had a lot of help from the technicians at my undergrad but I was like I really want to go and do my master's and actually learn more about underwear and De Montford is really really well well known for um, lingerie design and they're they're kind of industry like pioneers type thing yeah yeah Um, Hmm. Leicester traditionally has a lot of industry steeped in corsetry making and mass producing underwear like in the 50s and the 60s and things like that so mm. it was just a really good opportunity to go down and, and stay in Leicester for a year and do do the degree if I'm going to be honest the, the degree was maybe two or three old three years old maybe a wee bit older than that and it wasn't a hundred percent where it needed to be looking back now but again I enjoyed the experience I learned how to make underwear eventually, and it, but but that's the thing though as well. Like it, it I you can't make underwear. I mean, I can't make underwear just now because I don't have the the machines. Yeah. It was a really good experience, and when I was there, it gave me the opportunity because at Gal Shields at Heriot Watt, it's a fashion school basically, and there's, yeah. there's yeah. people that do stuff with like science and all that, but we we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> had no idea what that was but like the, the folk in the lab coats do stuff I don't know what that is <laughs> so, I mean that stuff was happening but the library we went to it was all predominantly you know like fashion books and things and then when I went to De Montford their library was amazing because it was a university that was like fashion and media studies and things like that I don't know what media studies was but then when I was at, at my master's I discovered their amazing film library and I've always been into film and majority of the stuff that I designed at uni and things were always inspired by a particular film or a particular actor or actress and stuff and I found this amazing library and I was like holy holy shit like and I was starting to read like you know like film theory and things like that and more about costume design and I also went to the Barrow Upon Soar archive that was an archive for the Symington company which is a a kind of traditional corsetry company from the 19th century so they I mean it was the first time I'd ever been in an archive and it was just full of beautiful historical clothing and accessories and underwear and it was like I actually cried like it was like you know when you've got happy tears because I was like of course literally because I was always very into vintage clothing but when I went there and I saw that somebody actually has this job to look after historical clothing and somebody's job is to look after these garments and research what this piece of clothing means that was why I went to De Montfort if that makes sense looking back now that's what I got out of yeah it sounds like to me like it's not just that you were going to university and doing your degree and then your master's as a means to an end like it very much is like a total labor of love like an absolute passion project like you weren't just doing this you know when you were at uni it was also in your spare time that you were just constantly ruminating about film and you know clothing and the people that wore them and what it meant and what the decisions were to to dress that way or to design something that way that's what fascinates me about what you do because I'm like you're just totally immersed in it and like yeah. reading you know your blog is wonderful and oh thank you the way you write I just love it like I was rereading some of them this morning and I'm like 
yeah, I want to know more. And that's obviously <laughs> that's obviously where you were coming at. You're just like, right, give me all the information. Yeah. Must be really difficult to like hone your focus in that way because there are so many influences and things that happened yeah. to lead us to where we are now in terms of fashion. Yeah. What it means. Yeah, I think I think I've all always been quite focused in the kind of way that I look at fashion because I've always been interested in 20th century clothing I I love history but I'm I'm not like you know like really passionate about 17th century clothing I'm not textiles some people are like specialists and you know like gold work and weaving and all these beautiful tapestries and things like that and I appreciate them but for me I'm really interested in 20th century clothing and the relationship between the wearer as a consumer, so why they're buying it, what influenced them to buy it, and how it makes them feel. I always watch, you know, like kind of older films and stuff like that. And then when I was in secondary school, a friend of mine showed me the film The Big Sleep with Lauren Bacall and Humphrey Bogart. And up until that point, like, obviously I still dress with like bright pink cords and like a real big fish t-shirt and things but I mean it was delicious but um, I watched that film and I hadn't really seriously watched a black and white film before if that makes sense and I had no idea that a woman could present herself the way that Lauren Bacall did in that film and I think it was the tailoring I mean Lauren Bacall is one of my favorite actresses but it was just her presentation and it was it was the visuals of the film it was a film noir I'm obsessed with film noirs and I've explored that in my my kind of degrees and stuff as well so watching that film by that point I was into you know like I think what every young person is into like they learn the names you know like James Dean and Marlon Brando and you know like Marlena Dietrich so you, you kind of scratch upon the surface but when I actually started to watch the films I was like, oh my God, these are really, really powerful, really, really amazing films that actually mean something. And it's all like, you know, like, I mean, especially film noir, they're like steeped in, in like visual metaphors, you know, like, I mean, some of them are really obvious, but some of them are so slight and the costume design in them are incredible. So that that's why I've always been interested in 20th century and, and 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. <laughs> I've always um, kind of known my path, if that makes sense. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just obviously gravitate towards that that period in time. Yeah. So, like, also having that love of film, and then being able to to marry the two. So, obviously, you've got your studies, but then you've also got your blog and the writings that you do, and then that leads us on to a very important person in your life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where I feel like you're going to educate me, and then I'm going to fall down a rabbit hole of yeah the wonder that is Prince yes yeah like so I'm I'm very very fortunate that my mum and dad have very good taste in music my dad was into like Skunk and Nancy and like the Cocteau Twins and Alaris Morissette and my mum was into like Cypress Hill, Marlon Manson and Sting really really bizarre (laughs) very eclectic I love it and then in the middle, they both really enjoyed Prince. It was always playing in the car. There was always Prince tapes about. And I remember just listening to Prince as a wee girl. And then I think when I saw him, I remember seeing him on the TV and it was the VMA performance where he wears like the yellow suit that has the the, the kind of cutouts at his bum. It's this really iconic suit designed by a designer called Stacia Lang. I think it was 1992. And I remember actually, like, I don't know how old I was. I, I think I was genuinely about four or five. And I remember, like, walking up to the TV. You remember when you used to could feel the fuzz of the TV? And I was like, oh, my God, who's this? But again, I don't think I put two and two together that they were the same person. And then when I was at school, um, I was at secondary school, a, a friend was like, by the way, do you know that Prince has got a film on Channel 4 right now? And it was really late at night. Remember when, like, Channel 4 used to, like, always play, like, saucy films, like, late on at night? And used to... <laughs> I remember listening to Prince a lot, but, you know, like, I hadn't cottoned really onto the visuals. And I remember watching Purple Rain and being like, oh, my God. Like, I, I, rem- I actually remember watching it through, like, I had, like, purple bunk beds. 
and I was watching it through. Remember, like the tiny TVs you used to get. So it's like a tiny TV. I had a black and white telly in my room at one point. I had one as well, actually. Yeah. But um, this was like my, you know, like my big girls' TV. So it was like. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I remember just watching Purple Rain and being like, oh my god, the performances were so, I mean, they're incredible, but it was just the visuals because um, I think I must have maybe been 14 or 15 watching it, I think, and it was the performance of Computer Computer Blue and Darling Nikki, and I was like, oh my god, it's an extremely sexual performance, and he he just exuded like raw sexuality glamour he was a freak in the the most fabulous of ways if that makes sense and he was so unusual and so different to anything that I'd kind of you know like I it was the same thing as Lauren Bacall really I was like oh like okay it wasn't anything that was happening of this time if that makes when I was growing up and um yeah so I just really, really identified with Prince and I remember I just continued to, like, I started listening to him and kind of finding out more about him. I remember, like, it was like, I think it was the first week of uni and, you know, like, when everybody's getting to know each other and all that. And I think it was the second night and on the first night, one of my friends, she was like, oh, let's all watch the film The Notebook together. So we all sat in her tiny dorm room and there was, like, about 10 of us in this tiny dorm. And to be fair, it was the first time I watched The Notebook. And I think I had like a panic attack essentially. I was like, oh my God. You know, like pure crying and stuff. I've not watched it yet. Because I'm like, I don't know if I can do it. It's like the same as Marley and me. Yeah, The Notebook. Not watched it. Yeah, so we all watched it, The Notebook. And it was a lovely bonding experience. And then I think it was like the second day after. I remember walking through with like my Prince DVD box set. And I was like, guys, do you want to watch uh, one of these? And they were like, who the hell's that? And I was like, this is Prince. And then, <laughs> but I always have really, really fond memories of, of that because we watched Purple Rain together. And it was so early on, like when I was at uni and, you know, like, everybody was nervous and all that. And everybody from that point on pretty much became like a Prince fan to, to varying degrees. Some of the girls went down to London with me to see Prince like two years after that or something like that. And a lot of the girls are still like, you know, like I'm really still really close to and stuff. So it just kind of went on from there. I just really, really kind of love Prince. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I totally get it. You know, like growing up, Michael Jackson, was mm-hmm. like not, not in, probably in terms of a fashion sense, I would say. Yeah. But just from the music aspect and obviously, you know, I'm a dancer. <laughs> So, like, yeah. I know what you mean with that feeling of, like, wow. And to be fair, you don't get much cooler than Prince. Exactly, yeah. And I think the great thing about Prince and being a Prince fan is because his work is so, like, prolific and because he's created so much music and content and visuals, like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like, a pretty hardcore Prince fan. I was just doing a virtual symposium there and um, it was celebrating the 40th anniversary of the album Dirty Mind and the 30th anniversary of Gafriti Bridge. And I'm always very invested in the visuals and the costumes and the the kind of cultural significance of what's going on. Mm. But there's people that are, you know, like musicologists and can tell you like, you know, like what was going on at the very moment he was recording and the kind of, pivotal techniques that he was using and all that and it's just mind-blowing like when you like fly on the wall stuff yeah like and I feel like when you when you're a Prince fan and when you're really you when you're really into Prince I feel like you get like a proper education because I've learned a lot about black history um through listening uh with Prince Mm -hmm. I've learned a lot about um the use of the internet as a musician um because he was really pioneering he was like doing it very 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 early on in the 1990s um he was one of the first people to do it if not the first probably so yeah like I feel like I get a proper education as being a <laughs> being a prince a prince fan I love it and are there particular choices in terms of like his fashion that ha- that you have seen that have totally influenced popular culture yeah I think I think Prince is very much of his own if that makes sense so there's been times in Prince's career when he tries to when he when he has tried to kind of dip into something that's going on and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't I think Prince's legacy in fashion and how it's impacted fashion in general especially for like black masculinities is his his visual presentation of self, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like he was a black musician from Minneapolis and he was extremely free, um, both musically and, and visually. Some people have a natural affinity towards dress and clothing, and some people have that natural kind of relationship between it that, you know, like they're not just dressing so that it covers up their, their bits. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Prince was dressing. Every, to be fair, everything that Prince did was with intent. Yeah, so, it's a form of expression, isn't it? It's yeah. like not only you know saying the, the the words and singing the song. It, it's like this is who I am. I'm wearing yeah. who I am on my body. Yeah, Prince has a really big impact in queer culture, and although Prince didn't identify as gay, a lot of a lot of people have that affinity towards Prince because of the way that he expressed expressed himself. In songwriting and in performance and in clothes, because especially in the beginning of his career, his songwriting was incredibly ambiguous. It wasn't even a case of being androgynous, it was just being Prince. Um, it's hard to explain. He, he definitely wasn't androgynous, he, he was just himself and he was, he was very comfortable in his own skin. And I think that's his um, impact on fashion, because... A lot of the things that he wear, like, you know, like the, when you close your eyes and you think of Prince, you think of the purple rain trench coat. And that's obviously had a major impact in popular culture and, and what we think of as the 1980s, you know, like that, Madonna, Michael Jackson, these people have had like a, a huge impact. But I think when you look at Prince's kind of career overall and the clothing that he's worn, I think like kind of lumped together, it's that kind of impact on freedom of self-expression and mm. and kind of a gender neutral way of dressing yeah I think I think that that's his impact there I mean there's certain outfits that have had impact but I think overall that's that's what mm. his impact would be I really enjoyed your your piece on the Batman yeah <laughs> <laughs> and like I just sometimes I'm like was that a real decision or was that just like a happy accident like the whole mm. like it was a Gemini Mm-hmm. And like you were saying, like the costume with the wings and different things, like was I look back at like the kind of half and half costume of like bride and groom, and, yeah. and I'm like, do you set out to like I'm a Gemini and I'm going to do that and I'm going to make this statement, or do, are you just such a genius? Like, are you just on such a like a higher power that you just do these things and then yeah. oh, that's a connection? Like, I, I think I'm, I don't know, I'm waffling. I just no, I get, I get, I totally get you. Prince, like I said, everything that Prince did had intent behind it, and obviously we we can't ask him about these things now. And he was he was like fiercely private, so he wouldn't he wouldn't tell mm. us anyway. But um, <laughs> I, think, I think he might have told you. <laughs> I think I feel like you and Prince have gone on a house on fire. Oh my god! I'd, oh my god! I'd faint. But um, I don't want to make you cry. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Um, Obviously, you've got people like me that are kind of critically looking at his work Mm. and looking about his work within the context of other other things going on in history. So people make parallels between it. And the parallels I make between it might be different to somebody else's parallels. And that's the kind of joy between the the joy of studying fashion and looking at at things Mm. like that. But everything that Prince did had an intent, and I don't know necessarily if the Batman costumes and the kind of connection I made between like burlesque costumes, a half and half burlesque costumes, it's it's my personal connection, if you know what I mean. Yeah, but it makes total sense. I was reading yeah. it going, aye, of course. But then I guess like we're all being influenced yeah. by outside noise and what's going on, and you make you're making decisions consciously and yeah. unconsciously, and I guess that's probably yeah. what and the people around him that were advising him and and supporting yep. whatever yeah. he wanted to do as well. Yeah, like I've spoke to a couple of people that have worked with Prince and. The main thing that everybody says, and when you read about the kind of working, the collaborative process, Prince knew exactly what he wanted. When you think of a, a, a musician or a, you know, like an actress or whatever, mm. usually they've got a stylist, and the stylist will bring out a rail and be like, "Right, I really think this would work," and blah blah blah. And for majority of people, you are just getting kind of dressed up, and you're you're putting on a costume type thing. Yeah. Prince was incredibly hands-on with anything that he did and it doesn't matter if it was the font of an album cover or you know like the way that he was recording something or you know like the way that a garment was stitched he mm. knew what he wanted and 
Prince was extremely intellectual and kind of consumed a lot of different kind of cultural um, history. And he mm-hmm. was really, really, he was really, really, I mean, all throughout his life, he was into different things. But there's times when you look at, at stuff and you know that he was reading about, you know, like Egyptian, um, like, you know, like ancient Egyptians and, and new wave stuff. So all yeah. of a sudden, all these moons are popping up in his clothings <laughs> and, and the eye of Horus and all that. Like, mm-hmm. there's stuff that's quite literal like that. But then there's other stuff that kind of percolates through that, that you, you kind of think... Mm, I wonder if Prince knew that he was doing that and I, I think that really interesting. That's really just what makes him like an artist then you think yeah. when you have like an overview of everything and a very clear idea of who you are at that time and yeah. what you want to put out in the world because essentially you're putting out your baby into the yeah. world so if it's yeah. a true reflection of you know you have literally overseen every single aspect I mean I'm not likening myself to Prince whatsoever but I think that (laughs) you you know tell you how I'm like well if we're not all like seven degrees like separated for somebody to be fair I'm from Bells Hill and who was who was famously from from Bells Hill Prince (laughs) no Sheena Easton was she I didn't know that oh my god that's the best thing that's came out of Bells Hill I didn't know that are you, you telling do. me you're Sheena Easton? Uh, well, probably <laughs> the next. Probably the next. The next. <laughs> My point was, as someone who creates stuff, you know, not on the level of Prince, nowhere near, never in a million years, but just that idea of having ownership over everything, like yeah. having a problem with delegating and going, you could do that for me. I've always had that problem. And um, yeah, just running the dance troupe and making every decision about costumes and and very much, you know, maybe unlike Prince, was keen to get the girls' advice and, and their take on how they wanted to, to look and what things. But yeah, I think a lot of the time, it is just as a creative, you just hold on to like, I've made this and it's mine and yeah. it's difficult to to um, hand that over to anybody. Yeah. So. I think he really pushed people as well because... A lot of the time he was asking for stuff that was, you know, like pretty unachievable or okay. or in a kind of traditional pattern cutting sense or, or you know, like with materials, he would be like, I, w- I want this material to act like this. And and it wouldn't, if that makes <laughs> like, sense. So people bent. would be like, eh, okay, and, like, and I want it done tomorrow. Oh you know God. what I mean? Um, fabulous. Uh-huh. So I think I think um, a lot of people talk about not just people that work with him in clothing, but as a whole, a lot of people talk about um how Prince pushed them to, to be the best that they can be. And you know what it's like if if you've got like a skill, then sometimes you can you can get your blinkers on and you can be like, Well, I've only got experience in this and this is what I do. And a lot of people always speak about Prince, how he basically was like, no, well, you can do that as well. A, a lot of the times he used to hire people and he'd be like, oh, you're going to be my hairdresser now or the, I want you to be the, the president of my fan club and, and the person just randomly met him or something. Like <laughs> He gave people a lot of intense opportunities because wow. he believed in them and he saw something in them. But he was, I mean, don't get me wrong as well, he was like, he was intense and he was... I, I can't imagine working with him would be an easy ride. You know, like he expected the well, best. I, I don't think I'd, I'd cry. I think I'd yeah. cry. <laughs> he didn't sleep as well and he expected you to kind of be like, you know, like Gosh. he would call you at like three o'clock in the morning and be like, okay, are you ready to, do you want to hear this new album that I've recorded? And you, yeah. And I respect that for, you know, like the, the hustle, um yeah, yeah. I, yeah definitely respect that but yeah, and I, I think I like, like that just that intense like focus on your work and that this is where I'm going to liken you to Prince Cassie wow like, just, <laughs> just that you know just the absolute passion just the joy of doing it the yeah. joy of doing it obviously sometimes yeah um, where you get down a rabbit hole of your studies or whatever you're working on and you're like geez oh if I could just switch my brain off but that then produces some amazing work and some amazing yeah. opportunities 
fast forward to recent times for you and you've done your two masters as well as your degree which I just thinks amazing um and your absolute love and focus and um just appreciation and celebration of prince yeah. what opportunities have you had and experiences through your work and through your studies have you had that you've just been like this is lovely or this is mental i've been really really fortunate if i'm going to be honest about the things that i've been able to do so I started to to kind of academically study Prince a couple of months prior to him passing. When I did my master's um, in dress history, I did initially want to do it on Prince, mm-hmm. but I, I basically got talked out of that by the university. Anyway, long story. I started to look at him academically and and kind of really focus on it. And then a couple a couple of months he passed he passed on, which was obviously you know like it was just awful and. I think it was maybe about a year after that, there was a call for papers for a academic conference in the University of Salford. And it was an inter- interdisciplinary conference, Purple Rain. And I saw it and I was like, oh my God, this is what I want to do. I want to academically study prints and fashion. And I want to talk about it. And I want to spend time with other people that talk about it. So I'd never done anything like it before. All my writing and stuff is kind of self-taught because I was all my degrees were practiced led even when I did my MLIT I was coming in and it was almost as if they expected you to know the kind of the basics of you know like you were just writing and they were giving you feedback which was good as well but Mm. so again I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants and I was like you know what I just need to give it a bash and I got accepted and I was like oh my god (laughs) so this is a thing now. I know this is a thing now. This is happening. So I went down to the University of Salford, and it was it was literally I think it, I think the day that I went down it was the day of the Manchester bombings. So it was a really Gosh. really strange time, mm. and the conference might not have went ahead. Blah blah blah. But it did go ahead, and it was an amazing couple of days of academics from all over the world, from New Zealand, Europe, America, like everywhere talking about Prince and from there I have had the opportunity to speak at um, various various conferences all over the UK. I've spoke at a conference in Lille in France about cool. Prince and Passion uh, and in 2018 I went over to Minneapolis and I spoke about Prince uh, at the University of Minnesota um, wow. at a Prince conference as well and it was just like I've always wanted to go to Minneapolis because Prince, that is Prince's home. Um, his work is intrinsically linked in Minneapolis and he is very much a part, like he is Minneapolis as much as Minneapolis is him. So I've always had this kind of dream to go to Paisley Park and to, to walk around Minneapolis and never thought I could do it. Do you know what I mean? Like no money. I love that you're just like, yeah, I'm just going to put that out in Ethan and see. Yeah. And it was it was really great because the people that um, organised that conference, some of them were were involved in the first Prince Academic, academic Conference. So from that first conference in Manchester, I made a lot of really like great contacts because I'm I'm an independent researcher at this point. Like I'm not at uni anymore, and the majority of people that go to these things are affiliated with universities. They might be PhDs. They might be professors. They might be journalists or whatever. So I made all these incredible contacts and they all like, you know, it sounds pure cheesy, but they all really supported my work. And they were like, by the way, this is amazing. You should you should keep doing this. This is um, and it was the first time I'd spoke in public as well back in Manchester. I don't know how many conferences I've spoke at, but I think it's probably like eight or nine or something. Yeah. So, I mean, that was just I love doing it. It's difficult because like I say, I'm an independent researcher, so I have to fund it all myself. I don't get paid to do these things, but that doesn't matter. But that can be that can be a bit of a challenge, and it can be a bit of a challenge between working your day job and then you know writing papers and mm-hmm. you know like doing research. But it's because like you know like if you've got a passion, you kind of just make it happen. You kind of have to do it. Yeah, and one of the things that I'm really, really proud of is the first Prince Conference in Manchester in Salford. A book has been has came out of that, and it's called Prince and Popular Culture, and it's been published by Bloomsbury. And that book came out just Sunday there, 
so I've actually been published. So I'm well in a chapter done. of the book. Yeah. Oh, so. Congratulations! That's amazing. Yeah. No, like it, it still doesn't feel feel real because it's one of those things. Like it's su- it's such a it's such an honour to be involved in in kind of print studies, and it's mm-hmm. such an honour to to be published. And it feels like it's. I think there's seventeen essays in it. 17 chapters and it's all people that have spoken at kind of similar events or the events I have and it's just full of brilliant Prince scholars from all over the world that are speaking about so many important aspects of Prince's life and it, it just it's just really really like it's quite emotional that I'm actually part of it I, it's a proper like pinch me moment if that makes sense yeah, of course. um I was meant to be in Minneapolis at the start of June for another conference but obviously with COVID and then obviously what's going on just now with Minneapolis and the murder of George uh, Floyd. So it's it's a strange time for, for Minneapolis and, and for Prince studies in a way, but it's, it's, it's more important now more so than ever, particularly with all the amazing black scholars that are speaking about Prince and his relationship, um, his blackness. It's mm-hmm. really, really, really important. So yeah, yeah, I feel really, really, really humbled that I'm like a tiny, tiny, tiny little part of this amazing kind of Prince scholarship. And a very so, important part, Cassie. It, it is wild. It's it's crazy. So so you alluded to the day job and marrying your passion yeah. as well as your, your work and, and what, you know, if we could all just do the things we love and not have to make any money and not have to worry about money, that would just be lovely. Yep. Um, what What is the day job for you at, at the moment? So I work for a charity. I look after a museum. It's a new job. I started it last year and it's a really, really great job. It's it's linked to my passion with museums and heritage. And this is the first time that I've actually had like a paid job that does that. Does yes. that make sense? So yeah, like I'm really enjoying it. It's an amazing opportunity. I'm learning a lot. And because it's quite an unusual role, I'm learning lots of different things. And you then also have the ability to do amazing vintage hairstyles. Yes. And that's how that's how I like you. So I guess I should explain. I reached out to some of the guests that have been on the podcast before to say, you know, if you know anybody that you would recommend as a Broad Brave guest, please let me know. And the wonderful history girls came back saying, Cassie Ritchie, all day long, get her on. And I was like, who is she? And then, you know, I looked up and I was like, oh my God, like amazing. And also, I feel like I know Cassie. And then we realised, yeah, the cupcakes. But yeah. oh my God, you're so talented. <laughs> I did I, I did vintage hairstyling uh, with the wonderful Miss Dixie Bell in Edinburgh. And uh, me and a friend did like our own kind of thing in Glasgow as well for a, a year or two. And then I went to I went to, to do my master's, so I just kind of stopped doing it. It was difficult because you know, like I was working full time, then doing Miss Dixie Bell or 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 the 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 business stuff at the weekend, and then trying to do a master's, I was like, it's never going to work. But um, I st- I do it from time to time. Um, I've done events with Karen from History Girls, so I, I still do bits and bobs. I would be interested in doing more things with it and I think it's something I'm kind of thinking about just now um because I've, I've been doing you know like a talk and then a little demo alongside it because it, it links in with my costume studies and it links in with fashion right. history and cultural history and people really get a kick out of it you know what it's like like from your experience people really 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 emote to the 40s and the 50s especially anything to do with World War Two, people really 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 kind of connect with it and I, I, I do really enjoy doing it I did it for maybe like five or six years or something yeah and you were just self-taught yeah I was really really lucky because I used to wear my hair all the time vintage so like you know like pin curls and all that type of stuff I was self-taught my mum was really really good at beehives so my mum used to put my hair up in beehives when I was going out in my early 20s and things like that so I remember that was kind of how I learned how to do that and then when I went to Miss Dixie Bell um, the amazing Ariana so Ariana still does amazing brilliant beautiful vintage inspired hair and she cuts and she colours as well she's incredible so working alongside Ariana was amazing and I had a colleague uh, colleague Fiona Tarantino as well and uh, Steffi Crawford who has her own vintage hairstyling business as well they were just like amazing people that were really really good at hair makeup and vintage styling and we were really really fortunate because at that point you know what it was like it, 
there was events, you know, like pretty much every other weekend. Yeah, well, um, the Vintage Festival coming to Glasgow was like a massive thing for us like, um, yeah. to Merchant City. So obviously married up with Merchant City Festival. Yeah. But um, just the opportunities that we got and like that I could never have understood really the love that people had for that era. Like I just liked the music. I yeah. liked choreographing to that. I liked the, you know, the, the fashion, the style of it from my point of view it wasn't like oh there's a gap in the market let's make a dance troupe that fits that right. it was it wasn't that it was just like what do I love and was just doing it and then you're meeting all these people that are enthusiasts and like know so much about the history you know and I was a bit like I felt like a bit like, a, a bit like an imposter sometimes to be honest with you because it was just like I don't know enough about this era but I just know I love it yeah other people do. And like you say getting like the hair and the makeup just right and yeah we had so many brilliant opportunities to to have experts like yourself do it. I mean usually for gigs it was just me trying to tame this hair <laughs> oh my god you can imagine it was like having to like straighten it to the cuddle it oh. yeah but yeah just we were introduced to so many wonderful people like Miss Dixie Bells and they yeah. helped us out just amazing community really yeah it was it was it was a lovely 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 community in fact and your personal style like obviously you were talking about when you were a teenager and very much you know that very specific look because of the music you were listening to mm. but then your personal style has evolved and I think we can all see that our personal style yeah. evolves but is your personal style right at this moment is that what you now feel like is like this is this is very much me yeah I think the style that I'm in just now it's kind of not really changed since my early 20s I started wearing secondhand clothing and, and vintage clothing if you can call it that like when I was maybe like 15 16 and I used to pick up um, the first thing that I started picking up was costume jewelry and it was all like 80s stuff um yeah big massive earrings and all that yeah like, yeah all the kind of like really gaudy stuff and you know like new new wavy stuff I was really into that mm-hmm. and then when I started uni I was really into the 60s so like I remember I made this absolutely abysmal gold lamy like shift dress that was like inspired by Edie Sedgwick oh, but wow. was terrible because it was like the, the fabric was so thin you could like you know like shoot peas for it <laughs> I just thought I was like oh yeah I look like a Warhol superstar like I had like bleach white hair and everything it was amazing, amazing. I mean the fact that you were able to make something just blows my tiny mind as something who can but yeah no, like I, I typically dress kind of 40s 50s inspired I feel like it, it kind of suits my body shape I feel comfortable in it I like I like being dressed if that makes sense I, I feel I feel more confident and I feel more um, put together when I've got I've got my stuff on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Here you yeah. I mean, I'm getting older now, so I feel like secondhand clothing. You can't. I mean, anyone will tell you it's so difficult to get 40s and 50s vintage clothing. It's difficult to get 40s and 50s vintage clothing for plus size. So for people of a bigger persuasion and it's it's a nightmare I do splash out and I treat myself to stuff because a lot of the times vintage sellers a lot of the stuff it's rarer in big bigger sizes so when I do buy stuff it's it's kind of like an investment piece because Mm. it's it's costlier but I don't mind that because I like to buy vintage clothing I like to look after it I like having something that you that you mend and you hand wash a lot of the stuff that I wear is um companies that are like independent vintage inspired retailers you'll probably know them like you know like Freddie's the Pinewood and House of Foxy and Vivian Holloway and these these garments are taken from vintage patterns nice materials shoulder pads proper zips all that good stuff all the good stuff that you don't <laughs> get in the high street do you know what I mean you just don't get in the high street and I do from time to time make my own stuff as well and it's something that I want to get back into making my own stuff because I've got, I mean, as anyone that's probably done fashion, I've got like, you know, like cupboards and cupboards of material and ideas in my head. You just need like, an extra day of the week now. Just yes. To, to do it all. I know. <laughs> and I, I love that. I love what you said about like, you feel you when you're dressed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like in this time, I think we were all in our houses more and not going out and not socialising. And personally, there is that kind of, lean towards like not bothering to get yeah. dressed and in a sense like put an outfit together rather than just flinging on stuff I mean I will give you the visual I've stood up for wearing what what can only be deemed as very 80s clocks and a Breton top that doesn't match but yeah I, I think it's like when you go to the effort of 
styling an outfit together yeah. you put it on and you know you, you add the accessories and you do your hair then you do feel better yeah, you you definitely do. I think I always I was laughing with my friend Ashley because we've been like texting each other for the past couple of months, being like, "Have you dyed your hair yet? Have you dyed your hair yet?" Like we've not dyed our well, we we both recently last week dyed our hair. We we instantly feel like normal human beings again. We're like, <laughs> it sounds it sounds it sounds um it sounds so trivial with what's going on in the world, but sometimes dyeing your hair, like if it's putting on a box dye or brushing your hair you know like just I mean this dress that I'm wearing just now it, it's it's quite a fancy dress but it makes me feel nice it fits nice Beautiful. is that little helter skettler that's on it yeah like little fairgrounds yeah that whole like it's trivial or it's frivolous not if it makes you feel yeah. good and that's yeah. you know that's a, a kind of form of self-care isn't it to do something yeah. that makes you feel, feel good and if if clothes and and styling what you have in your wardrobe or making something to put on your body then that's not frivolous if that makes you feel good if that yeah. lets you escape or it, you know it just perks you up for the day and makes you feel like a better version of yourself when you're not feeling that great do it absolutely do it yeah no it, it completely is and it, it does I mean it, it really helps with my mental health like if mm. I'm you can all I can always kind of gauge when I'm you know like my mental health is getting a bit flatlined and then see if I just I, I know I know like we're talking about it but when I dyed my hair I was in, I just instantly felt more together and I do believe that putting putting a little bit of you know like pep in your appearance for some people wearing wearing a dress like this wouldn't be comfortable to them and it's the same way that I can see somebody walking down the street and they're wearing like an amazing pair of like really beautifully tailored jeans and they've got like they've got like an amazing pair of like heeled boots on and their hair's all like you know like blown out and everything and I'm like you look bloody amazing mm. if I look like that I would look like a sausage stuffed into like you know like a denim casing <laughs> I, but, but, but that's what I love about fashion because yes like it's a self-expression it's what uh, you gravitate towards and what makes you feel good yeah and glamour and and you know like what what you feel is glamour is the complete opposite of somebody else and that's what's good about fashion and that's what what's um what makes it work and stuff it would be so boring if we were all kicking about you know like wearing the same the same stuff and th- the thing is as well if you can if you've got the opportunity to express yourself with clothing, and it, you don't need to spend a lot of money as well. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like some of the best dressed people I see walking down the street, it's maybe just because, you know, like they've got an amazing pair of earrings on or they've got like a really unusual pair of shoes or they're wearing like, you know, like really weird and wonderful tights or something. like. Mm. It, and that's what I love about like charity shop shopping. Yeah. Like I buy a lot of my stuff, like my husband calls it deed people's clothes. Yeah. <laughs> or deed people's clothes. I'm like, yeah, that's what I love because you're, you're going to find stuff that isn't in season at the moment. So then not everybody's necessarily wearing it uh-huh. or you're able to team things together. You're obviously helping charities. It's obviously good for the environment. Yeah, yeah it, it doesn't have to be this designer outfit that's cost you an absolute fortune. And mm. it's just if it helps you carry yourself and present yourself in a way that is more confident for you, then great. Stick on those earrings and yeah. Yeah, put, put some lipstick on and off you mm. Yeah, no, it's definitely, I mean, I think nowadays as well, we've got, We've got a responsibility now. I mean, ten years ago, well, when I was when I was seventeen and eighteen and nineteen, doing my undergrad degree and all that, like we had one sustainability class, and I made a pair of stockings out of a <laughs> out of a pair of neck curtains that were dyed with tea. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I can't really remember much in in the way of like having like a serious conversation about sustainability and looking after. Mm-hmm environment with our like consumer patterns nowadays we we have to think about it um 100%, yeah there's no avoiding it you can no. put your fingers in your ears and shove your head in the sand but it's happening yeah. and it's very very important that we all do our bit and yeah. be more conscious absolutely 100 percent. definitely and, and even if you're not you know like some people some people wear clothes that are you know like in fashion just now you can still get them on ebay you can get them on depop you can we can all do our part and look after your clothes like don't just like wear them once and shove them in a in the washing machine and you know put on like a red wash when it's white and do you mean all that nonsense like look after it Mm. if there's a wee hole fix it it takes two seconds put on a new button 
put on a different button and do, do you know what I mean like just look after your clothes especially I, I think as well I think it's easier for people that have that passion for clothing as well though because you, if you've got a favorite item you don't want to wear it out do you know what I mean oh, but yeah yeah it's like just be more mindful isn't it yeah really just the yeah. general public even if it fashion's not really your thing or you don't really think about it yeah just start to think about it just that wee bit more yeah um, exactly yeah it's really important Cassie I feel like I could talk to you forever you're just amazing um what's happening for you like right this second in terms of your studies or what you're mm-hmm. working on so the the books just came out that's been published that's Prince and Popular Culture so I've got a chapter in that so that's that's like numero uno excitement. Um, I'm just finished speaking at a symposium online, a virtual symposium, which was a huge learning curve because um, I had to get technical, but yes. it was fun. I've got, I'm working on an article for an academic journal just now on prints and bodywear. And I've got another article that's in peer review stage about prints as well and men, menswear, so men's tailoring and things like that. I write for Screen Queens, which is this amazing online community that write about films. So I've got some stuff that I'm doing for them. Like the the, the girls that, that write there, they're incredible. Um, they're really, really great, really, really passionate. And I kind of write about kind of older films, cult films, that type of stuff. I do have a film, a film night in Glasgow called Backseat Bingo. Yes. And usually screen films at the CCA um, but unfortunately with everything's going on we're not doing anything so we've had to cancel a couple of events but that's my dog. Hello pumpkin. Hello pumpkin. <laughs> like, are you yeah. The dog's like come on now. <laughs> um, I'm trying to figure out how we're going to get back to doing film nights but we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. And yeah, so I'm I'm actually at the beginning stages of putting together a proposal for a prints and fashion book. So that's I'm really excited slash terrified slash like terrified slash excited again. So we'll see what happens. Love that. Love that. Cassie, I am going to take up a couple more minutes of your time to throw some things at you called the thingamabobs. Okay. Right, so these are a list of like questions that I add to all the time, and then I pick out a, a select few for each guest. Okay. And there is one question at the end that I ask everybody. Okay, yeah. Okay, so my first question for you is, who has awesome hair? Little Richard. Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> that was the first thing, that came, yeah, first thing that came to my mind. And obviously, unfortunately, he passed away recently, but Little Richard... Huge inspiration, best clothes, massive inspiration to Prince. Such an important um, figure for the black uh, queer community. He basically started rock and roll and he was a black queer man. So Little Richard's hair, yes. 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 Love that. Yes, absolutely. All yes to that. Um, Okay, here's one. Do you call it a house coat or a dressing gown? Dressing gown. I, I never wear them though, but I do have a lot of really nice 1940s ones that I've never worn. A, a mm-hmm. good couple of dry nylon 60s ones, one that's even got a fag burn in it from the previous <laughs> wearer, which I'm yes. obsessed with. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. I can just imagine, like, you know, like somebody like, I don't know, like Barbara Windsor or somebody like sitting in it, like smoking a fag. Her hair's massive and all like covered in like cheap hairspray. Whoever wore it is my, my idol. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Okay, who would play you in a film about your life? Because obviously that is going to happen. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious! Oh, I don't know. That's a that's a good one. Do they have to be dead or alive, or they can be whoever you wish? Oh, that's a really hard one. I don't know who would play you. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I do love Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> yes. So I mean, like, if I could be. You know, she could play me. She's incredible, though, like an amazing businesswoman. Yeah, I do love her. I actually want to be her. And she's like defying time. But I think she's got good genes because I've seen her mum and her mum looks amazing. Oh, really? Oh, is that, is that- her mum her her looks great. So I think for me, it would be Divine, who's obviously passed away, unfortunately. But I love Divine. And I think their portrayal of, you know, like, in Pink Flamingos when Divine is, is doing a bit of a Jane Mansfield walking down the roads with a stake in between <laughs> between her, her legs doing the girl can't help it bit like I'm a bit tacky, I'm a bit kitsch yeah, Divine 
brought back from the dead with a really good wig on. <laughs> That's a good question. That made me think. I like the good questions that make people think, yes. Okay, here's one that I can't. Well, I could ask anybody, but I feel like you're the person to ask. If you could raid the costume department of any film, what film would it be? Oh, I can't. Oh, I know, sorry. Oh, one film. You've really stressed me out. <laughs> oh my God, no, you've actually really stressed me out with that question. I'm sorry. Oh, James. Whatever happened to Baby Jane? Whatever happened to Baby Jane? Because it's one of my favourite films. It has Joan Crawford and Betty Davis in it, which are, I mean, Betty Davis is one of my main inspirations in life. Incredible, incredible woman. The costumes are hilarious. They're really, really well done because they're so badly done. And it's like the most kind of finely tuned B-movie that ever was, if that makes sense. I love it. And the costumes are so iconic. But I would also put Beetlejuice in there as well. I love Beetlejuice. Yep. I just yeah. want something for uh, Screen Queens about Delia Dietz's uh, costumes because she is my idol. But I can't wear those clothes that she wears. But I really look at... I mean, she wears all black and it's all very monochromatic. Lots of Japanese designers. Totally different from me. But yet, no, that question really shook me. <laughs> it, it, it was difficult. And I'll I apologise. I know. Back to in a corner. I'm like, tell me now. Tell me now. I loved your piece about the Wicked Witch in the West yes. and the Wizard of Oz. Oh, Wizard of Oz. Oh, do you know, Wizard of Oz as well. Like, it's such a... Oh, that film is so beautiful. So beautiful. Amazing. Gilbert Adrian Design, who's my, my favourite costume designer. Yeah, amazing. Beautiful. Okay, here comes a big one. Are you ready? Okay. This is the last question that I ask everybody in the podcast. What is your favourite Scottish word or phrase? Mm, I like the word sleek it. Yes. <laughs> that has come up a couple of times. You can say it with a lot of venom. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And you can you can really be be quite she was sleek it high. Oh, Cassie, this has just been an absolute dream, man. I could speak to you forever. I feel like part two needs to happen. You are like in my eyes, the epitome of Bra Brave, for oh, sure. thank you. <laughs> like, doing amazing things, like, totally just immersed in what you love to do and quite often doing it to the sacrifice of, like, making money. Which, yep, yep. <laughs> which makes the world ground and all that. But that's what I love. Like, it's not, you know, it is a total passion project. Yeah, it is. You are so intelligent and witty and your wisdom on everything that you've learned thus far and everything you've studied, I think it's just... Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to see what you do next. And congratulations on the book. I think that's just incredible. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been it's been really Pleasure. fun. I didn't actually say this, but there's an amazing quote, which I think is really, really good for this um, podcast and everything that you do. And John Waters, who is another one of my main icons in life. Yeah, John Waters. He's, he's fabulous. He's got the best pencil moustache that he does himself. And my favourite quote in life is, without obsession, life is nothing. And I think that sums up all the stuff that I do, but it definitely sums up your podcast as well. Because if you can't be fixated and obsessed and excited and passionate and stupid over something, then why are you doing it? Do you know what I mean? So true. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you so much for no, no, giving no. me that. That's lovely. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so excited to see what you got up to next. Oh, thank you. No, I, re I really, really, really appreciate it. And it's been lovely to catch up. And it's so weird that we, like, you know, like, we have um, crossed paths before. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's that seven degrees of separation. That's how I'm, you know, like Prince. <laughs> and she needs to. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Bra and the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.